It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world, around the recruiting world. Isn't that right, Jeremy Birmingham? It's all over. Recruiting the world is everywhere, Tim. That's right. That's why I've got you on this special edition of the Tim May podcast. By special, I mean, you know, it's recruiting uh, signing day, signing week, signing signing day 1A for the 2022 recruiting class, right? It's coming up on Wednesday of this week. As we record this, Truth in Advertising, we're doing it on a, on a late Monday afternoon, headed toward a Tuesday release date. So what we say can and will be used against us, but it shouldn't be. Isn't that right, Jeremy? Yeah, please don't use it against us, but please be advised it can change. And I think that the interesting thing about the early signing day, Tim, is that in the world of recruiting, we have seen such an expedited calendar in the last handful of years that we've even compressed the early signing period, which is actually three days, into one day. I mean, as if we can't cram it all into three, now we got to cram it all into one. Yeah. Wednesday it starts, ends Friday, and then we have another five weeks until the next signing period because for some reason – that idea of an early signing period was the right one. Yeah. Well, as we found out with all these coaching changes, uh, Armageddon has hit the coaching field uh, this year uh, since the end of the regular season. You know, boy, they they maybe really need to rethink this early signing. Early signing period is not the right term, as you and I have talked about before uh, the last couple of years. This is actually the major signing day. It's really the late signing period. It comes in about five weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's the unfortunate crux of the matter is if they had truly made the early signing period, which has only been around now for, what, four years, yeah. if they truly made it early and put it like July 31st or August 1st, then it would have actually had an impact that I think that they intended for it to. Instead, what it's been used as is, is essentially a weapon for schools against players who they, you know, are trying to pressure into signing early. It's been used as a as a crux as a crutch for players to make sure that they have options if coaches leave. It's just been a very very bizarre uh, and unfortunately predictable side effect of what was originally a well intentioned idea. Oh yeah, and absolutely, you touched on it, man. It's been weaponized in the uh, coaching changing world. Coach, coaches changing world is, uh, well, you don't want to go there now. That guy's not there anymore, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, it's even happening, Tim, to, to coaches who aren't gone. I mean, here it is. It's Monday afternoon, and there are players in this Ohio State 2022 recruiting class who are expected to sign on Wednesday that are still hearing from other schools. Oh, Ryan Day's not going to be at Ohio State next year. Why would you, I mean, there's no evidence for that. It's just able, you know, you see somebody tweet something and then you retweet it and you send it to a kid and say, Hey, look, this is more rumors. I mean, as if these coaches themselves don't understand how negotiations are done or how contract uh, leverage is, is uh, deployed. Yeah. It, it's just a, it's just a nasty part of the game. And I, I think that it's unfortunate because it, it really puts the kids in a position that they shouldn't have to be in. Yeah. It'd be funny if Jim Knowles is here next year, but Ryan Day isn't right. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, funny, funny may not be the word, but uh, not, you know what not I'm funny. saying? Brad, they went out of his way to attract to get this uh, new defensive coordinator who he thinks is going to sort of change things for the better for Ohio State. And uh, now he's going to pull up stakes. It doesn't really look that way, right? Yeah, maybe not funny haha, right? Yeah, I don't mean funny haha. I mean, funny is in queer odd. You know what I mean? Strange. Hey, yeah. but you know what? For you and I, that, that pretty much sums up uh, you and I, we're, discussions we have a lot. But uh, before we get to that discussion, I want to get to a little conversation I had with Paul Feinbaum. You know, uh, it's. I always like to check in with my with my man Paul Feinbaum, and of course, uh, as soon as Michigan uh, kept firing off at the mouth after finally beating Ohio State for the first time, first time since 2011, you know they couldn't wait to put their mouth, their uh, foot in their mouth in a lot of respects. Not the least of which was what Desmond Howard did on the uh, Heisman Trophy show the other night. Uh, you know, kind of embarrassing C.J. Stroud and probably Ryan Day right there on national television. But it's really funny. Some people can handle success. Some people can't, right? Well, uh, we talked about it a little bit on Letterman Live on Monday uh, at Roosters, and 
I, I said it then, and I'll say it again now. If, if Aiden Hutchinson had said what Desmond Howard did on Saturday night at the Heisman ceremony, I, I would have thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that for a 51-year-old man who's in a position of supposed to be a professional uh, calling out a player like that who you don't know personally and putting – I even thought it made Aiden Hutchinson uncomfortable. I mean, I, I get yeah. it. I understand, I understand the rivalry, but – I just think there's a time and a place for all that. I don't know if that was it, but, you know, ultimately, as you said, this is one of these situations where uh, the Michigan program is feeling itself right now, and uh, I guess to the victor go the spoils, right? Yes, sir. Let me turn my phone off. You know, I'm really good about uh, using – You're extremely popular, Tim. I know, but uh, I don't know why. You know, now everybody here – that's actually my alarm, not my phone, not my phone ringing, but, but, you know – I detoured there. I'm not saying that other thing anymore because uh, at least for a while I'm putting that to rest, but it yeah. rhymes with rest, but I, but I detour. Uh, yeah. Back to what you're saying, but I talked to Paul Feinbaum a little bit about that. You know, obviously he works at ESPN. He's not going to take a cold hearted shot at uh, Desmond Howard, but you'll you'll hear what he had to say about it. But then we talked a lot about a lot of other things, including, you know, the SEC once again with two teams in the college football playoff, uh, the same two teams were in it a few years ago and played for the championship. I'm talking about Alabama and Georgia, Cincinnati shot, uh, Michigan shot, et cetera. So for, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Paul Feinbaum. And another encore performance, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, by Paul Feinbaum. Paul Feinbaum, welcome once again to the Tim May Podcast. Uh, I'm really surprised, Tim. I was with you a couple of months ago. I'm surprised this podcast is still up and running. But anyway, that's not for uh, that. That's off the record. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm sure there are a lot of people wondering the same thing, you know, but, uh, but then I go to a guest like you, what I call a, a ratings boomer and, and things <laughs> bounce back for a little while. Hey, Paul, I want to get your take. I was going to come on here and I go, yeah, this is Brian from Baton Rouge, you know, but, uh, you know, I thought that'd be a little too over the top, but it is, we are in a strange uh, time in college football, aren't we? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's been two weeks since one of the craziest uh, 24 hours I've ever seen the uh, Lincoln Riley left, uh, Oklahoma for Southern Cal and and <laughs> Brian Kelly left South Bend and now has a Southern accent. So I mean, yeah. I I don't know how I don't know how these kind of it's only been two weeks. Hey, hey Paul, where you, you did you grow up in Birmingham? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I went to no, I really uh, I grew up in Memphis. I was born Memphis. in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the weird part is my family, including my older sister, were all born in New York City. Wow. I'm the only Southerner in the in the crowd and. And they used to make fun of me at the when we were in Brooklyn on family reunions uh, that I was I was the only one with a drawl. But yeah. Most people. But but I spent most of my life in, in Birmingham as 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 the record shows. I was going to say I've lived in Ohio since 1976. So that's what, 45 years or whatever. But uh, when I go south, sometimes I they they say I'm sounding like I'm from the north. And then when I'm up here, everybody says I still have a southern accent. But what I was getting to is. Growing up in the South, you hated it when people faked Southern accents like in right. movies and stuff, right? I mean, right? Like Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana. Uh, Who says that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, which, I, I don't have to fake it. I, it's really interesting uh, because I grew up with the, with the Brooklyn in my house, but now my wife's from Alabama and everybody draws. So I, you, you do pick – you basically just start dropping uh, the I-N-G on the word. So, like, yeah. instead of um, fixing, I'm fixing. Um, yeah. There you go, man. One of these days, you'll be one of us. I'm not sure what that means. I want to get you, speaking of fixing, I want to get your take on how Michigan finally beats Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh, for the first time as a head coach, beats Ohio State. Ohio State uh, Michigan beats Ohio State for the first time since 2011. And suddenly they're running around. Uh, a lot of it seems like even Harbaugh had a little shot after the game, you know, about being born on third base uh, and thinking you uh, hit a triple. That little line, I know I miss, messed it up like Brian Kelly. Hey, by the way, I, what, did, what exactly was that? Was, did that mean? Uh, well, we're, we're still not clear, but we think it meant maybe some kind of shot at Ryan Day yeah. getting that Ohio State job in 2019, his first head coaching job, oh, okay. inheriting a great situation, obviously. You know, I, but, I uh, guess. But he paid his due. But my point is, you know, we all saw what, uh, you know, Desmond Howard said the other night, kind of took a, <laughs> took a shot during the Heisman Trophy ceremony which left a lot of yeah i i agree i i thought that was really cheap um and you know you would think that somebody like desmond howard who is there representing espn and, and on a platform like that would would show more decorum i i i really and I'm, i know i'm 
I'm speaking out of school here because he's one of my teammates at ESPN, yeah. but, but I, I don't care. I tell the truth. You know that, Tim. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we all poke fun at Michigan. We all poke fun. At, I mean, it doesn't, it just, but in that setting, uh, you know, with a young guy like uh, CJ Stroud, I thought that was uh, deplorable. Yeah. But what I was getting to is, I mean, it just seems like there's a way to win it. You know, that was just an example of some of the stuff, you know, like Josh Gad is talking about how they out physical to Ohio state. And they did on that particular moment, but like, he forgets, you know, two years ago, Ohio State beats him like 56 to whatever, you know, and it's, 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 I don't know. Do you think this will uh, juice up this series now suddenly with, with Michigan winning? I mean, you've been observing it from a, from afar for a while now and stuff. Just what's your take on what we saw this year in the Big Ten? Yeah, I think some of it depends on how, how, how it ends for, for Michigan. I mean, should they beat Georgia? Yeah. By Alabama for the national championship. <laughs> I mean, then we're talking about something serious, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to, you know, base your entire manhood on, on one win against Ohio state, uh, th- then I think you got some problems. Yeah. Hey, what do you think about the matchup? So man, I haven't gotten to talk to you since the, uh, since this season has played out and stuff, Cincinnati finally getting in. Is that good? Uh, Michigan, uh, finally turning the tables on Ohio State, which had won four straight Big Ten championships going <laughs> going into this year. Uh, Georgia and Alabama back in the, 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 the tournament again for the second time. I think they've both been in it and uh, played a hell of a championship game a few years ago. But uh, what do you think about the way the Final Four turned out? Yeah, I, I think for Michigan, it was it was a big boost for the for the Big Ten. I mean, right as your contract negotiations for TV start, I mean, I think it really helped because it really it was starting to look like a one team league, and and you know it's not. Uh, so I, I think it's a good field. I think Cincinnati had every right to get in. Now they they do need to show up against Alabama there. I mean, if this is a thirty five to seven game. A lot of what they've accomplished will go down the drain, but I, I think the school with the, the, the pressure on them is really Georgia. Uh, they had uh, this enormous season, and they threw it away in the championship. But you know, you come back and beat Michigan and Alabama, and, and no one's going to cry. And, it, and by the way, it, a couple of years ago, uh, I mean, other, other, I mean, other teams, I mean, like Auburn, for example, uh, beat Alabama in 2017. Yeah. Uh, Alabama went to uh, didn't even have to go to Atlanta. Uh, they got in the they got in the in the field. They beat Georgia. Do you, do you hear any any Auburn fans bragging about beating Alabama in 2017? Yeah. They're the yeah. national when you're the national champion, it, it it eradicates and erases everything else. So I think there's just it's too early, Tim, to start making too many judgments, and and that goes for Michigan fans as well. You haven't been around as long as I have, but you've been around. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I have been. When, when we look at the Rose Bowl as a consolation prize, uh, well, where are we is is that a good? Is, yeah, know, it, it's your, funny. I, I didn't. Uh, I was not even sure Ohio State was going to the Rose Bowl until a couple of days ago. I purposely don't don't look at the at the bowl matchups until for a couple of days. I want to I want to get through the season. Yeah, and it, it does feel that way. Uh, and I mean, I, it it just doesn't seem real. Uh, where's it? Does Iowa get a bowl bid after? Yeah, I think Bradley? they're in the Citrus. I think they're in the Citrus Bowl. I forgot who they're playing. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it seems ridiculous that. Uh, and I remember I I had never I'd been to the Rose Bowl, but never to the actual Rose Bowl game. And I remember I was out there in 2013 covering the national championship. Yeah. And the Rose Bowl was about five days before that. And I went to the game, and it was Michigan State and somebody. I, I really maybe Stanford. And I could not believe – I believe Michigan State won, and I couldn't believe it. I'm out there covering the national championship game. I dropped by this game just because we were working there at the Rose Bowl. And, I mean, I, I, these people really – I said to some friends that these people really take this game seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, never, I, I didn't understand it. And, and the fact that – I mean, you'll probably – maybe it's already happened. You'll see players uh, bailing out of the uh, – of the Rose Bowl for Ohio State because why do they care? They just played yeah. for the national championship 11 and a half months ago. Yeah. And the, 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 the opposite is true for Utah. Utah's never been to the Rose Bowl. This is, they're buying up Ohio State's tickets. I, I, I put a tweeted a link to tickets, you know, for Ohio State people to get to. And uh, all these Utah people got on there and started saying, hey, follow this link. You can get tickets here. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, but, but Tim, you got to remember, you, you live in, uh, you live in Ohio. If you live yeah. in Utah, uh, 
I mean, going going anywhere would be a would be yeah. a big deal, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. As, as I say, you had uh, the Rose Bowl's downhill from Utah too. You know what I mean? You just coast. Uh, yeah, but no, just you're right. Take, just put take your feet off the brakes, and and you're you're on your you're there. Let me ask you two other quick things. I get out of here. Just really one other quick thing. Brian Kelly seems to be running to something. Uh, Lincoln Riley seemed to be running away from something. What is your take on those two moves from blue blood programs to blue blood programs? Uh, is money going to rain now? I mean, you know, what, what, just what's your take on that, Paul? Yeah, I, as far as Lincoln Riley, I, I think it was a good move. Remember, Lincoln Riley, uh, right. you know, he was he was born on third third base, just like Ryan Day. And uh, he had, <laughs> there you go. Wait, there you go. Way, there you go. Stealing lines again. Now go ahead. Now he <laughs> now he didn't inherit quite as good a program as Ryan Day did. I might add, uh, he inherited a good program that that they got blown out in the playoffs every year. Ryan yeah. and, and inherited a program that's capable of winning it. And I just think that Southern Cal is is a step up uh, from Oklahoma. I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's like living in an expensive neighborhood, but you, know, you got, you got the three bedroom house on the, on the second hall and Lincoln moved to the, the eight bedroom house on, on number 18. I mean, there's just yeah. a little bit of difference, even though they share the same uh, key code to get in where Brian <laughs> Kelly is different. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm well aware of where I live uh, in the South, but, but Tim Notre Dame is sacrosanct. Uh, it's hard to imagine going from Notre Dame to anywhere. Yeah. Uh, even, even LSU, which by the way, is a better football job. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, he's going to be like, I've told people when he took that job, I wasn't surprised that a head coach would take that because you have a chance to have a good offensive line and defensive line in the same year. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, exactly. And, that, and, and that's a, Hey, uh, last thing, the Heisman is the Heisman always going to go now to kind of the MVP of the best team in the country or what, no, what's, no, your, that's what's your take? Uh, that's completely untrue. The, the Heisman pretty much now goes to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, I think, isn't that what I just said? Now go ahead. <laughs> just for a second. Uh, five Alabama players in the last two years, five uh, have finished in the top five of the Heisman. I mean, yeah. that is just incredible when you consider the three last year, and the two this year, and, and they're all different. It's not like, you know, this is Archie Griffin, you know, winning again. I mean, these are all different players and, you know, they're all skill, skill position players, of course. And it's just, it's just, it's just a testament to what Alabama has done. And, you know, what, what's really interesting is in two, until 2009, Alabama had never had a Heisman winner in Tim Alabama fans used to brag about that. I remember when Auburn uh, won the Heisman and uh, with Cam Newton, Alabama fans acted like, well, we don't want this award. This, we're not interested in individual awards. And now it's it's part of the recruiting uh, process. But, uh, exactly. I mean, I, and, and Paul, before you go, I, I, you know, I grew up, I was born in Alabama. You know, I'm always saying hi to my cousin Doug when I'm on your show, you know. Uh, but uh, I was born in Alabama in the 60s. I was, you know, in my in my through what I was born in 54. So I was a huge Alabama fan. I really got upset when John Hewitt won the, won the Heisman over Joe Namath back in 64, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. My point is, I thought it was pretty apropos that not until Mark Ingram won it, you know, that they won one because, you know, all of their winners have been African-American players, you know, and uh, think about it, the term, you know, everything that went on in the 60s and 70s when no, Bear Brat had those great teams. And now, you know, and now it's like, Heisman, the home of the Heisman, you know, for one of another term. I mean, Ohio State still leads them in the total number. So does Notre Dame, et cetera. But, boy, they're coming on fast, right? You know, it's funny. Uh, this weekend I'm, I'm hosting an event in Birmingham, which is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Alabama breaking the color barrier. And it's – I mean, it, that does not – that is, and I, I realize if you're 15 and you're watching this podcast, it means you're probably watching the wrong podcast. But if, <laughs> if, if you're our age uh, – that's really not a long time ago when you consider yeah. how, how football has changed, especially in the South. Yeah, I agree. Paul Feinbaum, once again, thanks for coming on the Tim A podcast, man. You always give great insight and, uh, you know, you kind of juice up the joint a little bit. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on and uh, don't ever have me on after a Harbaugh. Well, that probably won't ever happen again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the, the inimitable, the only, the iconic Paul Feinbaum. Thank you again, Paul. Thanks, Tim. See you soon. 
Yeah, I always appreciate man Paul Feinbaum as he's called the mouth the mouth of the South. Uh, I always appreciate him coming on with me. I've been on with him a few times on his show, and it's always an interesting conversation, no matter what whatever way it goes. Isn't that right, Burr? There's a whole lot of dialect and a whole lot of dialogue when you and Paul Feinbaum are in the same uh, conversation. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny though that when once I got him on, I said, "Yeah, this is Brian from Baton Rouge calling." <laughs> like to uh, thank your family. Yeah, your family. Yeah, Louisiana. You know what's funny though is uh, Les Miles used to call Arkansas or Kansas when he was the head coach down there. So I don't even know who who had a funnier accent. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, I, I I could almost believe that Les Miles didn't know what his actual voice was. I, I don't know that that I can buy that with uh, yeah. Brian Kelly. Yeah, Brian Kelly was just trying to fit in, you know. But uh, well, let's get right to it. I mean, one of the reasons you know if I'm Brian Kelly is as I said to Paul Feinbaum. You know, the reason you go to an LSU, leave a Notre Dame. Are you kidding me? To go to an LSU, uh, one reason is because maybe you want a fresh start. Number two, you want all that money. And number three, though, he's going to find out probably what it's like to have a good offensive line and defensive line in the, on the same team, right? I mean, the recruiting riches there are not a joke, right? No, it's certainly different in the uh, LSU region, uh, certainly different in Baton Rouge. Louisiana is one of the more talent-rich states in the country. And I think for a guy like Brian Kelly, this is an opportunity to finally recruit a little bit without reins. Uh, and I think that ultimately that may have been something that drives his decision. I, there is a sense that Notre Dame has sort of peaked. Uh, and I don't know that barring significant structural changes to what the Irish do or what they uh, allow admission wise or whatever, uh, that they can really get much better or consistently stay at that level uh, as opposed to a place like LSU. Brian Kelly is obviously a great coach. He's done great things at Notre Dame. I think he wanted a different challenge, and I think he wanted an opportunity to not to prove that he was one of the best coaches in college football. And I, I don't know, sometimes I think at Notre Dame, I think it's just every coach who's there, you know he's going to be a good coach. And, you know, we've certainly seen some down years there. But uh, Brian Kelly – I think is just looking for another challenge. He's a guy, Tim, I mean, you know, for years, he's been rumored to be going, wanting to take, take a chance at the NFL. Yep. He was always rumored with the, with the Giants when Tom Coughlin got, uh, when he finally retired. There was talk about him going to USC after this season. I just think he was looking for an opportunity to, to see how good he is. And the, the, the SEC is certainly a place to, to test that theory. No kidding. And uh, you said it well, you know, and as I like to say about, I mean, I don't want, this isn't about Brian Kelly, but, he was really good at Grand Valley State. He was really good at Cincinnati. He was really good at Notre Dame. He played for played in the college football playoff a couple of times. Obviously, they didn't win it. You know, uh, more talented teams beat them, but uh, they were in it. You know, and uh, I think in this in this age, uh, well, like you just pointed out, with some of the continued re- recruiting restrictions uh, that are applied to Notre Dame that aren't necessarily applied to any team in the Southeastern Conference. Vanderbilt might claim they are just so they can have an excuse for why they're uh, continually as bad as they are. But uh, but the bottom line is you're right. I mean, why not go where you can where, – where any player you have in mind uh, to put on your football team, you, you can recruit with, with very few questions asked, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it changes what you have to do as a coach, and I think that will be the interesting thing for a guy like Brian Kelly, who, as you mentioned, going from Grand Valley State, you're obviously not coaching – the highest of the highest uh, division one caliber athletes, Cincinnati, you're still, you know, a, a, at that time, a, a, a mid-major in the true sense of the word uh, at Notre Dame, you're forced to recruit as good a player as you can, but obviously there's academic restrictions. There's a lot of character, uh, you know, uh, flags that Notre Dame will not, yeah. will not allow you to take. Uh, LSU has not always been bound by those sort of uh, hampering restrictions. They, Wait, is, there, certain, is there any evidence of late of that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, people have Google. They can search it. Uh, I, and I think the truth is here, when you're a head coach, when you're used to recruiting and coaching a certain type of person and a certain type of player, I think the challenge for Brian Kelly is going to be a culture shock, not just in the fact that he's got to learn how to speak with a fake Southern drawl. I mean, th- these kids are, are not going to all be built the same way uh, that the, his, his roster at Notre Dame has been. Uh, there, there may be less yes, sir, no, sir down there. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts because I'm not sure if you know this about Brian Kelly, but he's been known to have a little bit of a short fuse. Yeah. Uh, and he may not be personality-wise the type to really fit in down there 
you saw Ed Orgeron as great as he is, you know, just to listen to to talk. He's a guy that's from Louisiana. He understands the culture. And there are a few places in the country where being from there means more there than Louisiana. All right. Well, you know, folks are clicking off right now. They're going, wait a minute. I want to tune in here and talk about here. Talk about Louisiana state. Who cares about Louisiana state? I care about Ohio state. Maybe they're saying the Ohio state, but yeah. Go, go Tigers. Yeah. Go Tigers. Let's but but we, we should talk about the Buckeyes is what you're saying, right? No, exactly. I was just fixing to say something else, but I, but I, but I caught myself and I kept this uh, PG. Uh, bottom line, uh, Berm, give, give me an idea, a sense of this uh, 1A recruiting period class that Ohio State's bringing in on Wednesday. Obviously, um, you know, it's ranked number three or number four, number five in the country, depending on where you look. Uh, who is – Give me that one player just right off the bat before we talk about some guys who could join this class. Give me that one player off the bat who's going to be signing on Wednesday that you think, wow, keep an eye on him this coming season. I'm talking about 2022. Uh, I think the guy – One guy. Don't Austin Ward me now. One guy. One guy. One guy. And I'm going to – I have to put an asterisk here because he's one of the the few guys in this cycle right now that I think that there's a question about – what happens on Wednesday, and that's Terrence Brooks, the cornerback from Little Elm, Texas, who is from the same high school as Ryan Watts, who just transferred out of Ohio State. Ryan Watts was his official visit host when he made his official in the summer. Uh, Texas is doing a very good job right now, sowing some doubt uh, when it comes to the future of Kerry Combs and Ryan Day at at Ohio State, which, again, is uh, a part of the business. I I don't believe in negative recruiting. I believe all recruiting is, is trying to figure out the best way to get what you want out of uh, the, the situation and Terrence Brooks's recruitment is wildly fascinating to me. He was offered by Ohio state on like June 7th, made an official visit on June 14th and committed two weeks later. Hasn't visited again since hasn't been back to Columbus. Didn't take a game day visit. Like a lot of the other kids did wow. borderline borderline five-star uh, talent at corner. And what you looked at with Ohio state this past season with the, the rise of Denzel Burke, now you see Seven Banks, Cameron Brown, Ryan Watts all out of the room probably for next year. There's an opportunity for a young guy at corner to step up and, and be the impact player on the other side. Ohio State passed on re- recruiting a former five-star player Elias Ricks in the transfer portal. And I think that they do that because they believe in guys like Terrence Brooks. And so as long as he signs on Wednesday, as long as he signs on Wednesday, Terrence Brooks is that guy to me that I think has the potential to be that surprise player that people haven't really uh, – looked ahead to see how he could impact next year's football team. I'll tell you what, I've watched his videos a couple of times, and uh, the thing that just jumps out is the same thing with Denzel Burke, except you didn't have a lot of defensive video with Denzel Burke. But what jumps out, I'm talking about what I saw Denzel Burke do this past season. This this season, it's not over yet. The Rose Bowl is upcoming. Uh, just his feet, man. He can move his feet, and he can he can what I call Denzel Ward used to do. He can mirror, still does. He can mirror that offensive player. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. I just – these guys are rare, man, and uh, I really like him. You know, that's the NFL roots. That's the NFL roots. His dad, Ted yeah. Brooks, played in the NFL. I mean, there's a reason that he picked Kerry Combs after meeting one time, and it was because of everything Kerry Combs has developed a corner. And so Texas is trying to apply a little bit of a, you know, a wedge there to say, hey, Kerry Combs isn't isn't coming back, even though that's not decided, and certainly Ohio State wants him to come back. Uh, th- this is going to be on Kerry to decide what he wants, I guess, for his future, um, but. Ultimately, the Buckeyes believe he's going to come back, and so a lot of this could mean nothing. So, yeah, that's that's my guy as we talk about the the one. Um, and if I'm going to pick an offensive guy, because I feel like I should, uh, obligation wise, I think that uh, that is probably going to be Keon Gray, the wide receiver from Arizona, who I just love uh, personality wise. The perfect fit for Ohio State. And if you talk about a young freshman receiver that could step up the way Chris Olave did in 2018, I think it's Keon. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I like how you did an Austin Ward on me there. You snuck another one in there. Uh, but I appreciate you using it, using the excuse of going to the other side of the ball. I want to ask you about this. Sonny Styles. I think Ohio State was, was as surprised as anybody when he reclassified. Uh, that's still on, right? And uh, yep. number two, is he a guy who could make an impact immediately, in your opinion? Where would it be? 
I think number one, yes, it's still on. This is a decision. So a little backstory here for those at home who aren't really the recruiting uh, followers that a lot of folks who have grown to love you over the last 40 years are probably like, what the hell is this recruiting talk? Uh, Sonny. Oh, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. Recruiting is the essence, the lifeblood. Well, sure. But people do that. You win with uh, right. people. I but just want to let those people know why we're talking about recruiting today. But people know it's the lifeblood, but not everyone likes to see blood. Yeah. You know I mean? you know that? Oh, my God. So people don't get the butchery. Yeah. So uh, Sonny Styles obviously is the son of former Ohio State linebacker Lorenzo Styles, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pound athlete, uh, very much in the mold of Isaiah Simmons, who came out of Clemson a few years ago and caused some big trouble to Ohio State in the twenty nineteen Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Sonny is a kid that, quite simply, they were surprised Tim that he was making that uh, reclassification because he's not an old junior; he's just yeah. turned seventeen years old just turned 17 two weeks ago. He's not a kid that was held back or anything like that. But, you know, him and I talked about two weeks before he made his public announcement that he was committing to Ohio State on November 13th. And he told me at the time, he said, you know, I'm really thinking about reclassifying. And I said, well, don't. Don't do that. Like, you don't need to do that. You know, enjoy being a kid. Go to high school and enjoy that life. And he said, I can't – I don't know that I can get physically better – with another year in high school. Again, six foot four, 225 pounds, runs a four six, can jump out of the gym, big physical hitter. I, he just decided, I'm going to travel 20 minutes away from home. I'm going to get worked out with Mick Marotti every day, get on the Ohio State meal plan. And what he told me then, and this was the, the illuminating part, was I don't care if I play next year. It's not about playing next year. I need to get a head start on getting physically ready for what's next. And yeah. Um, I think he can make an impact, though, because he's so physically gifted. But I would imagine you'd see that on special teams uh, as opposed to being a guy that is placed back in the secondary. You know, the conversation around him, especially in the current iteration of the Buckeye defense, has been that deep safety role yeah. uh, that Josh Proctor plays. But now we don't really know exactly how Jim Knowles' defense will deploy a kid like that, if he's going to be at that jack linebacker type you know, standing edge, just rusher. He's got a lot of ability to do a lot of things. He, Sonny can play with his hand in the dirt. He can play at linebacker. He can play at safety. He can play at the bullet if it still exists. He can play tight end, wide receiver. I mean, he, he's, he could probably play small forward for the Buckeye basketball team. Uh, he, he's a super, super athlete, uh, reclassified, as you said. Number, now he's the number nine ranked player in the class of 2022. Um, so clearly his national reputation is, is pretty good. Um, but yeah, this is just the way of the world now, right? I mean, these kids are, are the the clock has sped up. Yeah. It'd be a clicking. It'd be a ticking. Uh, CJ Hicks, well, what, what, you know, the other highly rated player in this class. I mean, uh, we already touched on, we haven't touched on Devin Brown yet. I plan to interview Devin Brown later. Uh, we're going to run that uh, interview sometime this week. But uh, the quarterback uh, who just, uh, you know, just recently committed to Ohio State and kind of fills in the blank there for those two guys leaving. Of course, I'm talking about Jack Miller and Quinn Ewers. We've hardly knew you uh, have left the Ohio State quarterback room. But, you know, Devin Brown is a very interesting guy to me for all kinds of reasons. But uh, C.J. Hicks, is he the kind of guy that can step in and immediately do so? Obviously, he could be a special teams guy. But, uh, you know, that court, that linebacker room, where, where do you just see him ending up, uh, I guess, uh, Berm? Yeah. That linebacker room is wide open. I mean, you head into yeah. next season, and certainly you have Cody Simon and Tommy Eichenberg, who seem to have, you know, begun to improve quite a bit towards the end of the year. Steel Chambers played well. But beyond them, there's a lot of question marks with Mitchell Melton's health, if he's going to be ready and back to go 100%. You don't really know if Taraji Mitchell is going to take his chance at coming back to Ohio State for another year, if he's going to look at the transfer portal. There's a lot of who knows there. CJ, the interesting thing to me is that athletically – Physically, he's clearly ready for college. Six foot, again, six foot three, 220 pounds. Very, very physical player, runs very well. But he's played at Archbishop Alter down there outside of Dayton. And I don't, I don't know that that level of competition is going to have him really ready for what's coming at Ohio State. There is a, a major adjustment period for kids coming from that type of program. Who, you yeah. know, I, I'm glad that he stuck it out at Alter. He had opportunities to transfer around and he wanted to make sure that. He graduated and left with his friends that he'd grown up playing with his whole life, which is the 
to me, the spirit of high school football, what it should be about. But, you know, that sort of uh, leap that he's going to have to make is going to be interesting to watch because he's going to be on campus here at Ohio State in two and a half weeks. And I'll tell you, there is a wake-up call for everyone, no matter how physically gifted you are, when you make that jump from any high school to Ohio State and you walk into that room and you realize there's 15 15 guys like you instead of just one. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. And my favorite whole part of the recruiting process, Tim, is the de-recruiting process because I think it shows a lot about kids' uh, actual mental strength uh, as they get on campus and realize that people don't care about them anymore. Uh, in the, in the grand sense, they don't, they're not going to be blowing smoke up their butt all the time anymore. And the recruiting process is essentially nothing but smoke blowing up your butt. Well, you know what? That's why the transfer portal's got so many people in it anymore, in my opinion, because, uh, wow, what a shock it is. What a climate shock it is from being recruited to being developed at a school. And, uh, some people just aren't into it. They, they see, you know, wow. I'm going to get into that another day, probably next week on my, on my uh, podcast, but I'm just, I'm kind of bummed out because I said all along, I thought the transfer portal was going to have much more of an impact on college football than the NIL stuff. But a lot of them are running, are running uh, hand in hand, you know, uh, but this whole situation has kind of gotten out of hand. But I wanted to ask you this, Gabe Powers, a kid from Marysville. I think a lot of people, local people in the Columbus area are very interested in this young man. Uh, what, what, what's your take on him? Cause he's, he's among the elite in this class. Yeah, and Gabe's interesting because he's a player that for the last year and a half, most people who have watched him have sort of waited for the development to happen that he ends up being a guy who puts his hand in the dirt and plays a defensive end spot. Um, A year and a half ago at six foot four, 235 pounds, people are like, okay, this kid's going to grow. He's going to outgrow the linebacker spot at Ohio State. And he hasn't. He's now six foot four, 235 pounds, but he's changed his body. He's much more. Uh, muscular than he was and it's not just uh he's really changed the way that he looks physically now again same situation with cj hicks is that how do you make that jump from marysville to ohio state yeah uh, and, and you know again i think the nice thing is he comes from a family of, co- of football his dad's a coach he understands the grind he understands what it's going to take i think that if we're talking about jim Knowles' defense that jack position that stand-up yes. edge that's a spot where i think gabe powers eventually could really find a home uh, but, you know, he's not a guy that I would expect to make a lot of impact next year unless there's a, a specific role that he finds himself in like that because as long as Jack Sawyer returns and JT Tuomaloa returns and, uh, you know, Javante Jean-Baptiste returns and Zach Harrison potentially can return, I think that, you know, you have a handful of guys that are going to fit those multiple roles very well, and I think the real important for, for a guy like Gabe is to just get in and understand the adjustment from high school to college. I don't know that he's a player who you should expect to, to make a lot of hay next year. Man, you just brought the guy up, man. Jim knows if he's looking at any video, if he's sneaking any video in uh, of looking at Ohio State's defensive players, I'm talking about the potential of these guys while he's getting ready uh, to lead the Oklahoma State defense against Notre Dame. You know, he's going to go against Notre Dame his first two games uh, is you know the next two games he's going against Notre Dame for OSU, Oklahoma State, and then OSU, Ohio State. That's pretty interesting when you think about it in all kinds of ways. Gives him a heads up or a head start on getting ready for Notre Dame. But on the, on the other hand, he's got to have four and five stars now instead of the basically three-star talents he had at Oklahoma State, which he did a hell of a job with. I mean, if people – if it hadn't been for Georgia's defense – people would be talking about Oklahoma State's defense right now, the way they talked about Georgia, because it was probably the second best defense in the country all the way around. Number one in third down uh, in third down defense, as opposed to Ohio State, which was uh, tied for 98th after the regular season. So right there, you think he's going to make an impact. But what is – have you noticed any impact at all on the recruiting side of things the last week or so – actually, it's not even been a week – the last many days or so since we found Jim Knowles, in fact – uh, was offered and has accepted the uh, defensive coordinator job at Ohio State starting January 2nd? I mean, not really. And I think this is going to be an interesting part of, of the of the evolution of the Ohio State coaching staff because Jim Knowles, as you mentioned, it's, it's a whole lot different when you're recruiting and coaching three-star kids who have come in with sort of chips on their shoulders and they're a little bit rough around the edges and, and are much more willing to be molded into what you want them to be as opposed to – high four and five-star players who come in and expect, 
to have a role given to them. Yeah. Uh, and eventually that turns into early transfers and that kind of stuff that we've already talked about. But, uh, you know, the reality is I've asked a, a handful of people who I know in the Plains region of the United States who have asked, hey, what is Jim Knowles' reputation as a recruiter? And not really to my surprise, the answer has been he doesn't really have one. And I think that's okay. Uh, I think for Ohio State and for, for this date and time in Ohio State football uh, culture, the important thing is that Jim Knowles finds a way to make sure the Ohio State defense is elite, and that will do the recruiting for him. Uh, because Ryan Day is the head coach and is an elite recruiter and Tony Alford is an elite recruiter and Brian Hartline's an elite recruiter and Larry Johnson's an elite recruiter and Al Washington's an elite recruiter and Kerry Combs is an elite recruiter. I, I don't think you need to have 10 elite recruiters on your staff. I think he will get comfortable in that role over the next couple of years as people get to know him. But the, the focus for him, I think, especially in this first year, has to be about changing the mentality and the attitude of that defense. Uh, and that Ryan Day will allow him to sort of be uh, free of recruiting duties uh, over this next few months. Now, obviously, it's going to be important to people know him and like him, but if you've seen any sort of interactions or videos about Jim Knowles, that doesn't seem like it'll be a problem. But, again, it is a big difference when you have to get out on the recruiting trail and talk to kids and say, hey, I'm recruiting you to come to Ohio State now as opposed to a place like Oklahoma State where it's a good program, and I don't mean to you know, put them down, but they're not recruiting even against Oklahoma often at Oklahoma state, you know, yeah. they're, they're not recruiting against Oklahoma and Texas and Georgia and Clemson and Alabama. They're not recruiting against the big boys. So it, it requires a different approach. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he molds into that or melds into that over the next few months. But I don't think that's a focus for him or a priority for Ohio state early. Yeah. Hey, last thing, you know, we, we talked a while ago, don't, don't want to spend too much time on this because things can change obviously, but uh, a couple of guys, maybe Ohio state's still waiting on as you and I speak. Caden Curry's one of those guys. Just give people a little bit of a taste on you, what, what's the chance of Ohio State signing him on Wednesday. Right now, there's been no no firm decision or no firm decision announced. But uh, just keep give people a little bit of an insight on a couple other guys that are, could join this class and juice it up. Well, right now, they got 17 guys, and I think the interesting thing about the Ohio State recruiting class, Tim, is that they are, I think, the number four ranked class in the on three rankings right now. Yeah. Number one is number one is Bama. Number two is A and M. Number three is Georgia. Number five is Notre Dame. Number six is Penn State. Number seven is Texas. All those teams have seven, uh, like 21, 22, 24, 23, 25, 22 commitments, and a lot more coming. Ohio State has eighteen, and it, it, the Ohio State class uh, is not expecting a whole lot more. There's only three or four guys that are on the board at this juncture. Caden Curry being one. Uh, he will make his announcement on Tuesday afternoon at 3.30 uh, from Center Grove High School in Greenwood, Indiana. He's a player that Ohio State has circled and underlined and put it in bold print. Like, he is a must-get for Ohio State and has been for almost 18 months. The comparisons from an Ohio State perspective are what the coaching staff believes he can be, and, and it sounds lofty, as Nick Bosa. They see a kid that's six foot four, 250 pounds, and is a – 100% motor every single play, but he's also extremely technically proficient. He's not a kid who's just beating people up at his high school because it's a, he's too good for that competition. Yeah. He is very, very athletic, one of the better baseball players in the Midwest, a kid that uh, Ohio State really has just loved since the first time they saw him. And they are the team to beat heading into Tuesday. Indiana continues to push. Alabama had made a run. He took an official visit to Alabama about a month ago, and at that point I think things tightened up a little more than Ohio State would have liked. Uh, but in the last 10 days, Alabama has sort of bowed out. Nick Saban did not even make an at-home visit, and I think they uh, would have done that had they felt like they could outlast the Buckeyes in this battle. So um, hmm. if, if he doesn't choose Ohio State, I would suspect it will be Indiana uh, and, and as the opportunity to stay home and be a hometown hero. But the odds of that happening are way less than they were five months ago. Uh, when the Hoosiers look to have some sort of momentum. And right now they seem to be kind of uh, uh, at a breaking point there in Bloomington. So uh, I think Caden Curry will sign with Ohio State. His family, his grandparents grew up big Buckeye fans, used to go to all the Rose Bowls and stuff. I mean, he's a kid that understands Ohio State culture. They've prioritized him from the start. Um, they, you know, Truthfully, I think most people thought that he would have been committed to Ohio State five months ago. Um, but Caden is a very – very deliberate, thoughtful kid. He's not someone who wanted to hurry. There was some conversation I had 
with Zach Carpenter, my, my recruiting cohort at Letterman Row about, Hey, this kid, he could eventually, he he could have waited till February and not cared. Uh, But about two weeks ago when Ryan day and and Larry Johnson had their in-home visit with Caden, he finally made the decision that he wanted to enroll early and get a head start on his development. Uh, So he's going to be on campus somewhere in three weeks. And I expect it to be Ohio state. Gotcha. The one other name out there, you know, that uh, could end up in this class, you know, uh, may not sign or may not announce a signing on, on Wednesday, but throw just a couple other names with a little short descriptions out there. So people have a kind of a sense of what could be coming. Well, I mean, there, there are right now only three other guys in the class of 2022 high school prospects that I think are worth paying attention to. You, well, maybe, you can name all three of them, then. Go ahead. May, may, maybe four. <laughs> we'll start offensive lineman Carson Hinsman. He's down to Ohio State and Wisconsin. Yeah. He's, from, he's from Wisconsin. He told me two, about a month and a half ago he never imagined he'd consider anyone other than Wisconsin. Ohio State has made it very difficult for him. He really liked what he'd gotten in, in his visits in Ohio State. Been there three times since June. Kid that really – I think is struggling between the chance to stay home and be that kid who grew up rooting for one team. And then there's, you know, the big national name in Ohio state. I think that's the struggle there. Uh, And then other than that, it's all defensive line. There's three guys, there's hero canoe, a defensive uh, tackle from California, originally from Bavaria in Germany. He's a, you know, six foot four, 290 pound, former soccer player, super quick feet. I'm going to tell you, I've been around Ohio state football camps and recruiting camps for a decade I've never seen Larry Johnson as excited to work with a player as he was working with Hero Canoe this summer. Really, those two clicked in a major way. He's going to sign on Wednesday, but not announce where he's signing until January 8th. Uh, so I, I think it will be Ohio State. But again, this is a situation where it's all about what other schools are saying about the potential futures for Ohio State coaches, uh, because there's a lot of that stuff up in the air and a lot of rumors percolating, as always, around Larry Johnson. And that's happened for the last eight years. But yeah. Um, Omari Abor, a defensive end from Duncanville, Texas, is the other guy that I think uh, could sign with Ohio State on Wednesday but not announce it until January 2nd. Uh, he's basically down to Ohio State. Texas A&M uh, has been the other battle there, but A&M is going to sign, I think, 14 different defensive linemen. I don't know how they're going to squeeze in another. What's interesting there is Texas. Uh, if Quinn Ewers and that push, Quinn and, and Omari are pretty close uh, or had been close when, when Quinn was at uh, South Lake Carroll prior to this season. And then there's Christian Miller, who I think is the one kind of wild card. Uh, a lot of folks have believed that he's been a silent commitment to Georgia for the last four months. But in the last week or so, there's been some unease creeping into Athens that maybe Ohio State has done enough to, to sneak in there and pull him away. Uh, Christian's a big personality. If he, you know, go back to find him on my Bermanology videos on Letterman Row. Great kid, super funny, uh, big, bold Ohio State personality that people will love. And then I'll just we'll wrap it there. But there, there's two potential transfers, I think, coming down the way here. One of them is Miles Frazier, an offensive lineman from Florida International University, has three years left. Freshman All-American, according to some outlets. Um, he's, he's a kid from New York originally. He's a, just announced that he's going to be down to two schools. I think Ohio State will be one of them with LSU the other. No timeline on a visit for him. He can't visit now because the dead period started on Monday. And so now you either got to wait till January or, or kind of fly by the senior pants and just – Hope you can secure some sort of waiver from the NCAA. Uh, and then there is Austin Stogner, the tight end from Oklahoma, who took an official visit to Ohio State uh, over the last weekend. Big-time tight end prospect. Now, if there's a room, Tim, in the Ohio State roster that could really benefit from a one-year rental next year, maybe none better than the tight end room, but Ohio State is balancing when Stogner could be on campus, when uh, how much they want to risk upsetting the current roster as far as Development goes not necessarily upsetting them as in making them angry or making them emotional or whatever, but yeah, how much how much do you want to upset the balance of the room uh, for a kid that if Stogner couldn't enroll until May, for example, is it worth it? There's a lot of those questions. Gotcha, Berm. You don't know much, but uh, boy, I'm just joking, man. You know that uh, I've always been uh, taken with you and your knowledge of the recruiting ranks, and you know you don't you don't necessarily claim to know it all, but you seem to know a lot of it. Uh, has it gotten crazier, by the way? over the last several years or has, has there been with all the information that's available? Cause you know, you got to keep up with what other people also are reporting and stuff. And, uh, but you, but you only trust what you hear, right? I mean, uh, is it, how would you explain that? Well, I mean, there are certainly other people who, if they say something, I know they're saying it because they know it. Um, I, I don't really, I don't like to just 
gossip or spread rumor or, or innuendo about things. I don't think that's my place. My, my job is not to tell a story because I want to tell it. My job is to tell the stories that kids want to be told about them. Certainly there's some back and forth between what I owe our, our, you know, content consumers yeah. uh, versus what we feel like is responsible to share. Um, it's gotten harder. There's no doubt about it. There are so many outlets out there covering every single facet of the Ohio state program and not just Ohio state, but every, you know, Michigan has six different outlets. So Ohio state has any kid being recruited by these schools is being, I don't want to say hassled, but hassled by multiple dozens of people every time anything happens. And uh, it really becomes incumbent on us to be responsible with their time and respecting their privacy and respecting their, uh, process and their families. So it becomes really important to have quality relationships on the other side uh, mm-hmm. to help kind of parse through what's real and what's not. Um, we've actually seen a lot in the last year, Tim. I've, I've noticed kids who've told me directly that the crystal ball era, the the conversations about, you know, oh, this kid's going to go to this school. And I put mm-hmm. in a prediction that kids have actually purposefully been misleading people uh, in order to throw people off the scent because they don't want to feel like they're decision is being taken away from them or that their, um, you know, choices are being uh, commandeered by other people who are profiting off it. I mean, I, it's a weird dynamic, but um, certainly the market for it is bigger than ever. And I think with that, it becomes much more important for us to be responsible with how we handle it. These are still at, at, at the core of it are still 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And, um, you know, I got into this business a long time ago now. I mean, not that long, 10 years ago, uh, because I think that there's a lot of really great kids out there who need to have their story told and and have worked hard to get opportunity. And I like to be able to help shine light on that. I mean, I was a pretty proficient high school athlete, a really good player, at one of the nationally ranked programs on, on a baseball field. And I didn't get a lot of help as far as pushing my name or getting information out there about me to really it maybe could have helped make my career different if I had that. So I, that's really why I do it. And uh, it is, it is changing and it's hard to keep up with it sometimes. Yeah. Especially the people, Ohio state recruits. I mean, oh my goodness, you know, uh, well, that's exactly the, the players that they're recruiting, the caliber of people they're recruiting, they yes. have every option in the world and uh, you can't, I, I sometimes get very jealous of, of recruiting writers and recruiting media who cover mid-major schools that the coaches are like, here, take this information here, do this kids, please write about me. And we have, we cover kids are like, leave me alone. I'm tired of talking to people. It's a different world, but you know, you just do the best you can and hope that uh, the way that we have always done it um, resonates with people and connects with people and, you know, is honoring the people who we're writing about. Well, you're, you're recruiting updates every week, and especially when you have Zach on, you have uh, Spencer Holbrook on. I mean, those are those are must-listens, I think, for Ohio State fans. But, uh, hey, Berm, uh, we'll be talking at you next week, man, because I told you I want to include you on next next week's show, too. Uh, give uh, Austin a little bit of time to find all of his gifts for his daughter, Liberty, and get them wrapped. You know, I think I don't think wrapping's his strong suit. But, uh, hey, man, thanks for being on the Tim May podcast again, my man. Absolutely. See you next week. You got it until then, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim May for Jeremy Birmingham. We'll see you then. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.